Welcome to Pleasant Grove Church, where Reverend Dr. Classy M. Preston is the pastor. A place where the Word of God impacts and transforms your life. Let's listen to a power-packed message already in progress. with God that we miss the Lord and that we know that God is our all in all. God is our everything. It is God who brought us into a new year. It is God, I said, who brought us into a new year. It is God who has kept us. It is God who did not allow COVID to land in your home. It is God who allowed us to get up this morning. It is God who allowed us to see our families. It's God who's allowing us to pay our bills. It's God who's allowing us to breathe right now. So we just praise and thank God for all that you're doing right now, oh God. 
It is God who's protecting the Darnell family as they travel back from Mississippi after eulogizing Sister Carolyn's mother yesterday. It is God who's taking care of Deacon Ophelia right now and her family and the Jones family and the Dunstans family. It is God who is taking care of the dedicated volunteers who come every week to work on our worship and to serve God in excellence. It is God who allowed Judge Julie to become Judge Julie. It is God. God is a dream maker. God is a promise keeper. And we serve an awesome God. It is God who sustained Betty Bannister when she fell a few days ago, going out to get her mail and coming back in her house. And she's in rehab right now. But you know, she's in rehab praising God and giving God all praise honor and glory that she is still alive. It is God who is keeping Emma Sutton as she grieves the loss of her son. God is awesome. And what I have learned that God is with us in every season of our life, whether we know it or not, God is always present to us. And it is God who has sustained Pleasant Grove Church this year, Miracle after miracle, in spite of COVID, God continues to bless us. That's enough to shout about. I even give God some praise about that. We didn't keep ourselves. It was God who kept us. We didn't know what to do, but it was God who told us what to do. So we praise God for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Let us pray. Most holy and everlasting God, we love you. and We bless your holy name. We thank you, dear God, for worship. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, for being our God. And we thank you for dwelling in this space. We thank you for rising up and leading us in worship, God. And we ask right now that you cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds so that we can be used as vessels of worship, O oh God. We ask right now for a fresh anointing that only you can give. And we ask of God that the word will go forward with conviction and power because that's the type of God that you are. We bless your holy name. We claim preaching and teaching, not in my name and not in the name of Pleasant Grove Church, but in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. The church said, amen. It's something powerful when the church says, amen. The church says amen, I tell you. Many of us are having withdrawal. No hugs, no kisses, no touching. And that's what we're known for, Sammy. So for us to have to lean and give an elbow bump instead of a hug, it requires discipline. It requires Holy Ghost discipline. Because some of us want to hug and we want to move on, but it's not time yet. But I am confident that at the right time, that God is going to move and the doors will be open again. And God will allow us to come together. God is my everything. I have really been blessed through the study of John chapter 4, where Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. I find this woman fascinating, and I was going to give her a name, but I concluded that all of you would probably think that I know something personal about the woman that I don't know if I didn't pick the right name. So I'm asking you to give the woman a name, and I want you to use your Holy Ghost imagination. What I can tell you about her is that this woman was tenacious. She was observant. She was very direct. 
She stated what was on her mind, and she was not afraid to ask any questions. Verse number seven says that when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and this is chapter four, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. I found this fascinating because the woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? But Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I named this sermon, Give Me a Drink, because I realized that all of us need a drink of Holy Ghost water. We don't need champagne, red wine, white wine, vodka, gin, scotch. We don't need any of that. We don't even need any of my father's favorite drink, which was Crown Royal Apple. We don't need any of that. That's not really living water. That makes you a little sleepy at times, he says. So I decided to name this Give Me a Drink, and Jesus explains what this drink is. So of all the drinks you have in the new year, I hope you have the drink of some living water. And if you don't have any, call me, and we will hook you up with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I grew up in Alabama where labels were very common. And I do not like to use labels and call people by certain names because I find it deplorable. I don't even want people kidding with me to use the N-word or call me names because I grew up in that environment. And when we look at the Samaritans, someone would ask us, who were they? The Samaritans were a people, a group of people in the Bible that lived in the area of Israel following the Assyrian conquest. And to explain the origin of the Samaritans, we must go back to the days of the kings. And after King Solomon ruled over the Israelites, God's people, the unwise actions of his son Rehoboam in the 10th century BC led to schism in which the kingdom was split. I am prayerful that the church is taking the time as we study the book of John to go back and to look at the history so that you can understand, Deacon Linda, why things happen the way they do. In, 17, in 721, the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians, and many of the people of Israel were led to Assyria as captives, but some remained in the land. And these half-Jewish, half-Gentile people became known as the Samaritans. The word of God says that Samaria as a city was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And after Israel's fall, Samaria as a region was in the central area of what used to be the northern kingdom. And to get clarity on that, I decided to go to get my map of the Bible and really take a look of where is Samaria, where is Judea, where was Galilee, where was Jesus going? The Samarians were being a mix of already spiritually corrupt Israelites and pagan foreigners. In other words, the Samaritans were mixed up with foreigners who encouraged them into idol worship and encouraged them to set up their own God. It teaches us a lesson that we have to be careful who we worship with and who we are intermingling with because sometimes a little God with a little G will become a big God with a big G if you're not careful. They established as their center of worship a temple on Mount Gerizim claiming it was where Moses had originally intended for the Israelites to worship. They had their own unique version of the five books written by Moses, which is called the Pentateuch, but rejected the writings of the prophets and the Jewish traditions. Jesus often taught spiritual lessons through parables or stories. 
And one of the most famous parables is that of the Good Samaritan. You know the story, don't you? The parable is found in Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 25 to 37. It says that an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus and ask him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And when Jesus turned the question back to him, he had to say that the law stated that a person was to love God and love his neighbor as himself. However, the flustered expert wanted to justify himself, so he asked, well, who is my neighbor? How dare you be arrogant with Jesus? In reply, Jesus said a man was going down to Jerusalem to, by Jericho, and he was attacked by the robbers. Check this out. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by, but moved over to the other side. Help us, Holy Ghost. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, Malik, he passed on the other side. Have you ever been down and the person who came by, Kelly, just passed to the other side? They didn't really see that you were in need. According to the Bible, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. Now, this is a Samaritan, and these are the people who were being rejected by the Jews, but they had the time to take a wounded man to the huts where they could get help, and they did it on their own Duncan all by themselves. In other words, you cannot draw conclusions from people based on what other people say. You gotta find out for yourself. There's some good in everybody. And just because this person was a Samaritan shouldn't have been an issue, but because the Jews thought so little of them, the disciples kept asking, how could you use a Samaritan in a parable? Jesus, how could you use these people in a parable? Well, the question is, how can God use us? Hey, how can God use us for anything? How can God use us for kingdom work? And that's what this is about, is that Jesus is showing us is that once you submit your heart to God, let the Holy Spirit do the cleanup. Don't try to clean yourself up. It will never happen. Don't try to make it all right. It will never happen. Don't try to serve up the vegetables that you will eat that will make you clean. That will never happen. Don't rely on yourself because in all of our humanity, we are not able to transform ourselves from flesh to spirit. It has to be done by the Holy Spirit. Can I get a witness? Many of us do not come to the well to draw because we have nothing to draw with. Many of us are so tired and weary in life that we don't realize that we come here to draw from the well of salvation. We come here to see who needs to be loved. We come here to understand what it is God wants us to do. And the Israelites really had an attitude also about the Palestinians. While we went to the Holy Land in the year 2000. And I never forget that we were on a bus trip, Brother James, and the Palestinian was our tour guide. And he was explaining to us the loss of their land and everything that was meaningful and valuable to them. And the man began to cry because he said, They've stripped us of everything. And if you know anything about history and religious history in Jerusalem, that battle continues even today. 
And so what we have to understand is that although some people might take physical land and property that belong to us, they can never take us from the presence and the power of Almighty God. That regardless of how the world thinks of us or views us, we always have possibilities with God. But Jesus saw the Samaritans as people who needed his love and much as anyone else and treated them that way. You ever seen anybody who needs love and then you decide how much love they get by how they look? That's all wrong. You need to look to see what love is God asking you to give in the name of Jesus. Because one day somebody picked you up and turned you around and placed your feet on solid ground. One day somebody prayed you out of the sewer. One day somebody prayed you out of jail. One day somebody prayed you out of a storm. One day somebody kept your secrets so nobody would know what you had done. One day somebody stood up and said, don't talk about her like that. She's a child of God. Don't call her names because she doesn't look the way you think she ought to look. Jesus had to go to Samaria. All week, Reverend Marlon, I've been trying to figure out. I've been studying. I've been reading. Why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? He could have gone the opposite way through the dry land and on the west side, and he could have skipped Samaria altogether. But I realized that Jesus had to go to Samaria because Jesus had to let the Jews know that he was the savior of the poor people, brown people, chocolate people, no people, whatever they call them. And Jesus said, I am going to show you what love really looks like. I am thankful that Jesus had to go to Atlanta and Baltimore and Chicago, Detroit and Charlotte, Greenville, Jackson, Mississippi, Mobile, Alabama. I'm so glad that Jesus had to go to Cleveland and Miami and Philadelphia and San Fran and San Jose and Durham and Raleigh, Pittsburgh, Riverside, California, New York. I'm so glad that we were not excluded from Jesus when he took the path. Imagine if Jesus had not stopped in Samaria. The Jews would have used that as an excuse to say, we knew you were nothing anyway. Even Jesus didn't come to see you. But I love the fact that God always shows that his love is not biased and it's not prejudice. Are you aware of barriers you have created in your mind? Are you aware of the biases you cling to without evidence or truth? Are you aware that sometimes people whisper things in your ear about other people that are not true? Are you aware that you need to give just as it has been given to you. And so Jesus was clearly not bound by such conventions in his offer of the free gift of living water to the woman in this story. I hope you've given the woman a name by now, and I hope that you just hang in there a minute as we see the woman's dialogue with Jesus. The bigger picture, the incident also serves to illustrate that Jesus had a greater purpose in coming into the world. And Jesus' purpose went beyond simply being the Messiah of the Jewish people. He came to be the Savior of the entire world. Can you say amen? amen? Jesus came to be the Savior of the entire world. So Jesus chose to offer living water to the Samaritans. and He did not view them as an unclean traitor to Jewish blood. The Samaritans had hostile feelings toward the Jews based on negative encounters with the past. And the Jews intentionally avoided contact with the Samaritans because they considered them unclean, but not Jesus. Jesus specializes in cleaning up what's dirty. 
Jesus specializes in cleaning up what we think is worthless. Jesus specializes in giving hope to those who have no hope. So Jesus encounters this woman at the well, and they said that she was there at noon. According to some biblical scholars, she went there at noon, Brother Alex, because the other women talked about her from time to time. We'll talk about her history and past next Sunday. And we will talk about her husbands and all of that. But today, I want to focus on the encounter at the well. So we concluded from study that she went to the well at noon because the other women would not be there chatting about her and she could go get her water and get back home. And most of the women who came to the well came in the evening to exchange small talk and village talk. And as the woman approached the well, a weary stranger, Jesus, makes a request for her to give me a drink. I love this when she said with amazement, how is it that you being a Jew will ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, but Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritan. They did not until Jesus came. That's what Jesus does. He corrects what's wrong. That's what Jesus does is that he lets you know that these images you have made up in your mind don't mean anything. He lets you know that I am God. I am Jesus. I am here to give you some living water. And then the woman responded, and in this dialogue, there's a reversal of roles. I think she probably had her hands on her hips by now saying, how is it that you are a Jew and you're going to ask me for water? And then she said, how, how, how can you be here asking me for water? You'd have nothing to draw with. I thought the woman was really, really sharp. I thought it was great that she was getting in Jesus' face, and Jesus looked at her. He said, woman, if you only knew. You ever met a woman like this? I know, you ever met a woman who knows everything, has an answer for everything, but Jesus said, woman, if you really knew who I am, and if you were aware of what I had to offer you, you would be getting a drink from me, not looking at the fact that I have nothing to draw with. It's nothing like a woman telling you off when they think they're right. So Jesus offers the woman the living water. The Father offers through the Son. The living water moves us from darkness to the marvelous light. It springs from the unfolding source, and it is not water that seeps into an earthly veil dug by human hands like Jacob's well, but I'm talking about living Holy Ghost water that wakes you up in the morning, makes you shout every now and then, makes you love your neighbor, makes you love your dysfunctional family, a living water that fills you with fire, that when you want to curse somebody for doing your wrong, the Holy Ghost says you can't go there anymore. You don't talk like that anymore. It's a living water that rises up in you when you're in a drought and you think I can't take anymore. You see, there's a living water that doesn't come from the well. And many of us are still on well water. Let me say it again. Many of us are still on well water. You ever really been to a well? You ever seen how deep a well is? You haven't really experienced how long it takes to get that bucket of water up in the well? I realized I would never be a good farmer because when they had me getting water from the well, I didn't have a lot of water when the bucket came up from the well. The woman asked, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank for it himself? It's good to know your history, but it's also good to be mindful that God is always upscaling our history. God is always giving us opportunities to be a part of his family and living water. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst and be the water that I shall give him when I become a well. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. How many of you would have been willing to ask Jesus to give you the living water? And the word says that Jesus gave her the living water and told her that it was clear that when she had the living water, that she would no longer need the water from the well. And what we learn here is that we tend to wrap our lives around things of the world and we give up the living water for water of the well when our property and our possessions and the things that we accumulate become more important to us than having a real relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus selects a place to rest. Here is this woman, and then this woman is transformed into a believer. And she's reminded, do you remember the story of the 10 lepers? There were 10 lepers, and Jesus blessed out of them. You Bible scholars, you know this, right? Nine of them were blessed. They were healed, and they kept moving. They were easing on down the road. Only one leper came back to thank Jesus for healing do I have to tell you that it was a Samaritan? Do I tell, have to tell you that the people who were being criticized for being scum of the earth had enough common sense to come back to say, thank you, Lord, for healing me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Can you imagine? So be careful how we treat other people who are not like us. Jesus had to stop by because classroom needed to be saved. Sandra, Kelly, Marlon. Linda, Connie, Sammy, Shireen, Florence, Danny, Benita, Derek, Malik. Jesus had to come because all of us, according to the world, were in Samaria. The church has a great impact on the lives of people. The way we view them, the way we treat them, and the way that we love them. And as pastor, I have always worked hard to love everybody the same way. And I don't believe that any of us will be better than the next person. I believe our assignments are different in the church. But when we come here, all of our earthly credentials and possessions mean nothing if we're not filled with the living water. The other day, I discovered a woman who lost both of her parents. I didn't discover her the other day. I had heard that she lost both of her parents in the same month. The same month. And then when I saw the woman the next time, Shireen, she said that her husband was no longer working and they had no food. I called Kim Bragg, Minister Kim. You all know her, right? The lady in Western Wake that everybody knows who feeds everybody and loves everybody. So I called her to ask, did we have food? She said, yes, ma'am. I came to the church to get the food, and Kim had fixed enough food for three or four families. I took the food to the woman, and guess what? I saw the woman again, and she said to me in tears that the food from your church fed my whole family and my two sisters' families. We had nothing. We could have treated her like a Samaritan and ignored her situation altogether. But isn't it powerful when God puts people in your way? Isn't it powerful when God puts people in your way to remind you of 
who you really are, to remind you of what you can be, to remind you that it doesn't matter what you did yesterday because every day is a new day with God. Isn't it awesome when God puts people in your path to lift you up when you can't, I wish I had a witness, to lift you up when you can't lift yourself up anymore. I, 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 just, I just wish we would just grasp what God has done. You are not here by accident. You are here because God has orchestrated your steps. You are here because God knows what you need. We are here by the grace of God. Not because we did it right. Not because we gave what we should have. Not because we answered correctly. We are here because we have a loving God. And too many of us come to the well empty-handed with no vessels. And too many of us thirst for things that we should not thirst for. And it is my prayer that all of us will be convicted to thirst for living water. To thirst for living water inside of you that will take you from day to day and from hour to hour. Because the word of God says that we shall all draw. I love this in Isaiah. That surely God is at my salvation. And I will trust and not be afraid. Nobody will ever change my mind about God. Nobody will ever move me from a position of believing in Almighty God. I will trust and not be afraid. Yes, life is tough. Yes, things don't always work out. Yes, I have to wait sometimes. Yes, people turn on you. Yes, people say things. Yes, things fall apart. But I trust God with every thought I have and everything I have. It is the Lord and the Lord himself who is my strength and my defense. And he has come my salvation. And nobody will ever change that. And then Isaiah said, with joy. Does everybody here know what joy looks like? Have you ever been joyful? Can you just show me a little joy for 30 seconds? What does joy look like? But Isaiah said it would be with joy. I will draw water from the wells of salvation. I don't hear you. With joy, we will draw water from the wells of salvation. And Isaiah said, in that day, you will say, give praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Proclaim his name in the darkness. Complain, proclaim his name in the midst of trouble. Com proclaim his name in the midst of trial and tribulation. Yesterday, I was here at the church. And Deacon Ophelia came in. She came in with her bag working. And I looked at her and I said, Lord, this woman has lost her grandson. Her family is in grief and mourning and sorrow. But she has the presence of mind to come to your house to do your work in the midst of her sorrow and grief. I believe that Deacon Ophelia understands what it means when you say we will have joy and we will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Has God done anything for you? Has God, come on, done anything for you? Are you confused? Has God done anything for you? And then Isaiah said, sing to the Lord. Come on, praise team, so we can sing to the Lord. For he has done glorious things. Let it be known 
all the world. I said, sing to the Lord, he said, for he has done marvelous things. Shout out loud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. I said, great, Danny, great, Malik, great, Deacon Gino, is the one. Great, O oh Lord, and shout aloud and sing for joy, because great is our God. It's time to take a drink in the name of Jesus. It's time to get a little drunk on some Holy Ghost power. It's time for you to be in the nightclub again with some Holy Ghost power. It's time for you to be out late at night with some Holy Ghost power. It's time for you to be out there with your friends, hiding out, thinking that nobody knows where you are. We ought to have the same fire that we have on Saturday night, on Sunday morning. It's time to take a drink in the name of Jesus. It's time to take a drink. Stop acting like you don't know what I'm talking about. It's time to take a drink.